God bless all of you. So God is good to us, and we've got a great Easter time coming up next week. Of course, is Palm Sunday, and then following that is Easter Sunday, the following week. And God is going to, I'm sure, bless us in a lot of different ways. And uh, God is good to us in the word of the Lord. I'm going to pick up this morning where I left off, and we are studying uh, the the uh, restoration of is restoration of Israel. I started to say the uh, restoration of the church, uh, Reformation. It is recalled. I like the word rest, uh, restoration better than Reformation. I think more because that uh, it was not so much the reforming as it was the restoring of the church. And this chart here shows us how the, the church in the beginning set up by Jesus Christ and then the apostles uh, began to fall away uh, into, into paganism and into idolatry and so forth. And we've already studied the various things that happened along the way that brought it into what's called the dark ages here. And it was uh, this falling away process that brought about the church to be in the condition that it was in until 1517 when Martin Luther uh, nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, in uh, October 31st of that year, stating that he disbelieved many of the things that taught by the Catholic Church. And of course, when they went after him to capture him, embarrass him, humiliate him, and even to kill him if they could catch him, Germany rose to his defense and Germany began to accept the Lutheran teachings, which is justification by faith. We're saved by faith and not by works and indulgences and purgatory and confessing our sins to the priest and the priest forgives us and all of that was all done away with. And so it was a great move and a great step forward. And then that was followed by uh, John Calvin with the Presbyterian Church. And uh, he established the Presbyterian Church. He was the pastor of a great church in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, in which the whole city went to that one church. It was quite a, a large church, well-known and so forth, and it spread from there all over. The Presbyterian faith uh, really took hold in Scotland, in Scotland, and Scotland became very strong in the Presbyterian faith beliefs and so forth. Uh, the downside of, the, of their beliefs uh, according to it, that I think is con contrary to the scriptures is they believed in the predestination of the individual. In other words, they believe you were born to be saved or lost. And that was sort of a, a, a weird thing, but it was believed by them and so forth. And it was picked up later on by the Baptists and also sort of refined and said, we believe that once saved, always saved. You can never be lost after you're saved and so forth. And that's called eternal security. And uh, it was picked up by them. Other, other groups of religions that began to spring forth uh, did not embrace that. For instance, the Methodists, who, which means holiness, they, were, they came along and they were led by John Wesley, George Whitfield, Charles Wesley, his brother, John Wesley's brother. Charles Wesley wrote over 5,000 hymns. Many of them are in our hymn books today. Uh, but he was a great songwriter. And so these Wesley brothers plus John Whitfield, one of the greatest orators that ever lived. He could speak to huge crowds and they could hear him effectively. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, he came to Philadelphia one time when Benjamin Franklin was there. This is back in the 70s, remember, 1700s. 
and Benjamin Franklin walked back and tested his sound and said, as far as I could go right back down to the river in Philadelphia, I could still hear him preaching to mass audiences of people and said they could hear his voice very clearly. He just had that gift, that gift from God that God had given him and so forth. Now today, I want to talk to you about the Christian church a little bit. The Christian church was established by uh, the Christ, by people who begin to say that baptism is not just an act of outward manifestation of an inward work. They were saying that baptism is an outward manifestation of an inward work. We're saved by faith. Baptism is just sort of showing everybody that we are saved. It was like saying, okay, I'm saved, so I get baptized just to show everybody that uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, <clears throat> the Christian church movement came along, and uh, when they came along, they began to say, it's more than that. We are baptized for the remission of sins. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 for a moment. Let me show you this in the scriptures, and this is something that we all believe in. Even though they did not embrace Jesus' name, baptism at this point, but they did embrace the fact that baptism was for remission. That means it does away with sins. It washes away with sins. It takes away sins and so forth. And so this was uh, one of the big things that the Christian church brought out that was... Uh, that began to have people thinking about it. And of course, others uh, refuted that. For instance, the, the Baptist says, no, we're still saved by faith. Baptism is an outward manifestation of what they call an inward work. But the Christian held their grounds and said, no, the scripture is so solid. Well, let me show you this. If you look in Acts chapter two and verse 38, here's an example of what I'm saying. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Be baptized for the remission of sins. Very simple. So the Christian church was saying, there it is. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, a scripture that would confirm that is also found in the book of Acts over in chapter 22 and verse 16. And this is where Paul is rehearsing his own conversion when he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the Christians and a light shone down from heaven. He said it was brighter than the noonday sun. That's pretty bright. And he said the Lord struck him down and all those that were with him. And uh, the Lord began to talk to him and said, Paul, why kick us out against the pricks and so forth. In this 22nd chapter, in the 16th verse, the Lord spoke to him and said, and now why tarest thou, speaking, God speaking to, or Jesus rather, because he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Jesus talking to to, to Paul, who was at that time Saul, his name had not been changed to Paul yet. He was called Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He was speaking to him, and he said, And now why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Okay? So apparently baptism is to do away with sin. So whether we say it's washed away or whether we say that it is for the remission of sins, but baptism is very essential. And the Christian church brought this out and said it was this way. Now, the counter to that is saying is this, uh, and I had a fellow, you know, did this with me one time. I said, well, the Bible here says that we are for the remission of sins. And he said the word for means because. It means because. Well, he's partly right. He's partly right. Uh, to give you an example of that, look in Acts chapter 10 
and to confirm his his statement and yet they don't like this example very much when you use it to confirm what they are trying to say but it is there whenever Peter and the disciples went to Cornelius the first Gentile and preached to him the Bible says these words I'm going to read them to you and verse 45 and 46 of of Acts 10 and they are the circumcision that is the Jews which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter there were six of them because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues now in this case the word for means because you see what I'm saying because they heard them speak with tongues so they say okay the word for means because so when it says that baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins it means because of the remission of sins you've been baptized you see what I'm saying in other words it's already happened it's just to do it because of the remission of sins and I and of course and I uh, I understand that and so forth however the word for has other meanings involved to it it's not just that uh, and I was telling this one guy one time about it and he said well you could say because of I said the word of is not there it's just for you know because he used that uh, let me give an example here I can say I bought a new suit for hundred and twenty five dollars okay if I bought a new suit for hundred and twenty five dollars I say I bought a new suit for hundred and twenty five dollars the word for there does not mean because you see what I'm saying I bought a suit because hundred and twenty five dollars you see what I'm saying so the word for is versatile it has it has varied meanings and I made a study on that word one time that's why I know all of that uh, and uh, you can say uh, uh, I drove around looking for something for two hours I drove around for two hours you can't say I drove around because two hours you see what I'm saying so the word for has different meanings in this case because there is no because of there's no of there then we have to assume then that the word for here it means it, it is done in the place of that or it is done to show that there is remission of sins so anyhow I have I've dealt with this before and it's funny how they try to bend that a little bit and make that happen but that's not the case so the Christian church was right and so when the Pentecostals came along and around uh, 1900 the Holy Ghost began to be poured out in masses then uh, they realized that baptism was very essential because the Christian church had established this truth and many other Christians were adopting that view and saying okay we must be baptized in to be saved as well uh, I'm uh, want to talk to you a little bit about these things because there's a negative side to the Christian church factor here not the Christian church itself but there was a man who came from them by the name of uh, Alexander Campbell uh, I mean I'm sorry John Campbell John Campbell uh, was a Christian guy who rose up and says no he says uh, there's some more things involved here among us Christian church people that we need to talk about and so he actually brought a split in the Christian church and they were called themselves the Church of Christ in the early days they were called Campbellites because his name was Campbell John Campbell so all the people that followed John Campbell from the Christian church that went into the what was called the Church of Christ uh, they were called Campbellites in the in the early days of it 
and they had this kind of a belief that they uh, they believed that now stay with me on this one very closely because I'm going to show you some real good things here in a minute but they believed that there was no such thing as miracles today there was no such thing as speaking in tongues today there was no such thing and if we would say well the early church did this or that and you went back and pointed them to the book of Acts they would say that was for then but it's not for us today and so you would say then to them well when did it change and so they would have a, a story as, in themselves as when they thought it would change I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and here's what the scripture they use and I'm going to show you this because uh, there are groups of people and even not just the Church of Christ but they're the, the sort of the vanguard of it or the forerunners of it but there are other groups as well who believe that speaking in tongues is not to happen today it can't happen it's not supposed to happen so if we speak with tongues they conclude that it's gibberish they believe it's of the devil they believe that it is emotionalism that we just give ourselves over to some kind of emotionalism and that it is not really of God furthermore they do not believe in miracles they do not believe in any kind of miracles. You can pray all you want to for a miracle to happen and it doesn't happen and everything. And uh, there are uh, many scriptures, of course, we could talk about. But if you go to the book of Acts and you say, here's what happened in the early church. Here's what happened here. You can show them scripture. Well, that's okay. In the early church it happened, but it did not happen and it came to an end. And here's where they say that happened. If you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the the chapter on charity which is the love of God the word charity means the love of God and uh, <clears throat> so in the eighth verse it says charity or the love of God never faileth but whether there be prophecies now what preceded this chapter 13 was chapter 12 which talked about all the spiritual gifts that God has given which included the gift of tongues uh, the gift of interpretation the gift of prophecy the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, and on and on and on. There's nine of them that's mentioned. I won't get into that this morning. But anyhow, then Paul goes into the 13th chapter saying, but the greatest of all of these things is the love of God. You've got the love of God in your heart. That's the greatest thing of all. And then he goes on to explain all of that, why he's saying that. This is the eighth verse now. Charity of the love of God never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And they say that, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is perfect is come was the completion of the word of God. They say when the New Testament was completed, and the, all the books had been finally written, then it was complete. That's when that which is perfect has come because the word of God is perfect. This is their story. This is what they say. And so they said that when the word of God was completed, which would be 96 AD, that's about the year that God gave to John the Baptist on the Isle of Patmos, the book of Revelation. And he finally wrote the last words, you know, in the end and uh, saying, nobody should add to or take away from this book so forth and uh, and so that was completed so they said from that time on 
there is no more miracles. There are no more, there were no more, uh, there was no more speaking in tongues, even though in the early church in the beginning it was and so forth. And therefore we have the word of God and the word of God is that which is perfect. Let me, let me give you some information here to help you to understand this because a lot of it's right here in, this, in, the, in the scriptures themselves because they talked about how that, uh, that there was nothing here that, uh, that I mean, it's very obvious here what, what they should be here. That which is perfect, they said, refers to Christ. And uh, the word perfect here, that which is perfect has come, refers to the resurrection. And that's the only time we will ever be made perfect is in the resurrection. We are not perfect today. We never will be perfect. I know we think sometimes that, you know, somebody should be perfect, you know, but no, none of us are perfect. Mark it down. None of us are perfect. And uh, Jesus Christ was considered perfect after the resurrection, even though he was perfect in every way in the flesh. He knew no sin. There was no sin about Christ. But the perfection part of it is referring to the resurrection in which we would have an absolute perfect body that would never die, that would, that would never sin, that would never be in pain, that would never, never, all those negative things that never happened. And so when the Bible here talks about, but when that which is perfect is come. Now, let me give you some teeth for that, something that we can sort of uh, look at Hebrews 11 for a moment. Let me show you. I'm going to give you two or three, four scriptures. The Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Are you still with me? Yes. All right, look in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. And uh, 1 Corinthians 11 is the... Uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. I'm, I was in the wrong book. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the uh, chapter on faith. And uh, the whole chapter is all about men of the Old Testament who lived by faith and died with that faith in their heart. And they had a promise from God. They all had promises of God, starting with Abraham. The Bible said Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham looked for a city. Yeah, the Bible says that in the Bible, 11th chapter. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Now, that's never mentioned very much anywhere else in the scriptures until you get to the book of Revelation and you get over here in the 20th, 21st, 22nd chapters and it talks about the holy city coming down out of the Lord, you know, four square and so forth. It talks about that holy city. Uh, apparently, the Lord had let Abraham know that there was a city that he had prepared for those who would be, that would follow him, walk with him, and one day uh, they would have a perfect body living in a perfect city, and holy city as it was called in the scriptures. Now I'm going to pick up this verse of scripture here in the 11th. It's, it goes on to say here that toward the end of this chapter, by faith they were delivered of this and that, talked about of the fiery furnace like Daniel, uh, I mean of the three Hebrew children, and they were delivered of the lion's den like Daniel, and so forth. Uh, and so it goes on to say it. And then verse 36 says, And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, as whippings and beatings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. Verse 37, They were stoned, they were sown asunder. Sown asunder means they were put in a log and the log cut in two. Jeremiah was killed that way. And that's what that refers to. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they were wounded 
they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins like Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist and so forth, uh, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, these people that were God's people. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. What promise? What promise are we talking about here? They received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. That was their promise, that they would have one day a glorified body like as unto the Lord's body. But Jesus Christ had not come and he had to be the first fruits of the resurrection. In the resurrection, we have a glorified body. I'll read some scriptures on a moment, in a moment on that. But I am pointing out to you here that in this early church, this early, this, uh, in this period of time that he's talking about here, these, these people that followed Christ or followed the Lord, uh, they did not receive the promise of perfection which is the promise of the resurrection. And the word made perfect has reference to the resurrection. We say, well, Brother Mary, that's a little loose. No, no, stay with me here. Let's go to another verse of scripture. I want you to go to Luke with me. Luke, uh, look at Luke 13, 31. Luke 13, 31. And I move a little fast here because I realize that you've got it on the screen here as well. Luke 13, 31. Well, it's not, it's on the side. Good. All right, thank you, brother. And it says here in verse 13, 31, the same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out and depart. The, to Jesus they were saying this, get thee apart and depart thence for Herod will kill thee. And this is what Jesus answered them about Herod. Herod was the king. He said, and he said unto them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected, which means the third day I'll rise again, praise the Lord. The word perfected meaning the resurrection. So what I'm doing here is giving you some scriptures here concerning the scriptures that talks about us being perfected and how that our bodies are made perfect, praise the Lord, whenever we, uh, whenever we are, we, the rapture takes place, amen. I want you to look at 1 John chapter, 1 John, not St. John, but 1 John chapter 2. And if you look at 1 John with us, uh, chapter 3, rather, in verse 2. 1 John 3 and 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall be, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him face to face. Now, that ties in back, going back to 1 Corinthians. I don't want to keep you jumping around, but I'm going back to this verse that they use where they said that charity never faileth, you know, tongues will cease, prophecy will cease, and so forth, uh, until that which is perfect is come. And they try to say that's the perfection of the word of God. But that which is perfect is come is the rapture or the resurrection. Praise the Lord. If you were to read on down in that verse of scripture, I'm, look, I'm here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now verse 11. 
when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And he says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So I ask these people, I say to them, since when do you look at the word face to face, the Bible, you know, the, the completion of the word of God, face to face. I said, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, when we see him face to face. When you see him face to face, then face to face. And of course, that verse of scripture that we just read to you there, where it talks about uh, in 1 John, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear how we shall be, but we shall, when we shall, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You cannot look upon Christ. You cannot look upon him without having a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. We'll have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. We don't know exactly how it'll be, but whatever that is, that's what we'll have. Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead, we'll be talking about the resurrection in our drama and in this Easter time. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he had a resurrected body. He could be seen, he could be touched. He could be felt in his resurrected body. But after he had been on earth for 40 days and appeared to choice people and he showed himself so that they were witnesses, then after 40 days, he walked with them. This is in the first chapter of the book of Acts. He walked out across the Kidron Valley upon the Mount of Olives. And as he walked along with them, with the disciples, he says, I want you to go back in Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Ghost comes. And it'll give you the power and you'll be a witness of me. And as he walked along and talked to them, everything, the Holy Ghost moved upon him and he went up. And they watched him as he went up into the heavens. After that, Jesus always appeared in a great light unless he subdued that light. That's just why Paul, when Paul saw him later on the road to Damascus, he said he was brighter than the noonday sun. Praise the Lord. And so... Without a glorified body, we cannot see the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? So we shall see him face to face. Uh, one other verse of scripture that sort of goes along with that is one that's found over here in Revelations chapter 22 and verse 4. And it says, speaking here of the saints of God, Revelation 22, 4, this is at the end of the book of Revelation. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. They shall see his face. Isn't that amazing that we'll be able to see the Lord's face, you know, in Jesus Christ? Uh, my sister, the one that was, in, there's four of us in our family. I'm the oldest. She was a year and a half younger than me. And the kids growing up, we were always very, pretty close, you know. The other set of children were like maybe seven or eight years younger than us and so forth. And then they were a year and a half apart, so they were pretty close to each other. But my sister and I were, you know, quite close growing up and everything. We got grown, you know, and everybody goes their way and does their thing. You see each other at get-togethers and family affairs and so forth. Well, she died a couple of years ago, and uh, my my younger sister uh, was there by her bedside, and she'd gone into a coma, and she was laying in the hospital, was in a coma, and had not come out for two or three days in a coma. And she was laying there on a the bed, could not speak, could not say nothing, did not even know if you talked to her. You didn't, no response. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, she sat up in bed, and she said, I see God. I see God. 
I see God three times. And each time it was a little bit more excitement to what she said. I see God. And she was looking, her eyes were open, and her speech was just like she was always, just like she's talking to you or me right now. And she said, I see God. And she said, and then she closed her eyes and laid back down, just laid, her, laid back, went back to sleep. And the next day at 5 o'clock, she was gone, you know. She, you know, she saw the Lord. I mean, these things are real, folks. These things are real. And uh, I just say that because that's an amazing thing that God would allow us to be able to behold his face. That we look upon his face. Praise the Lord. And this is why this is very important. So this is not talking about the word of God here over in 1 Corinthians when it talks about uh, that, uh, where, where is that verse of scripture? Over in Corinthians when it talks about it, it is speaking, praise the Lord. Here, I've got it right here in front of me. It's, it's speaking about the Lord, praise the Lord, uh, himself whenever we shall see him face to face. Let me give you one other little factor involved here, and then I'm going to move on because I've got some other things I want to bring out to you here. Uh, look at this verse of Scripture. This is one I always use with them when they say this refers to the Word of God, the completion of the Word of God. I'm going to read it again to you. 13.8, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And I like to emphasize that one. They, they do. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, and they say that's the word of God, that was 96 AD. When that which is perfect, then that which is in part, it shall be done away. And all the other is done away. I'll say, wait a minute. Hold your horses. Go back to verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall cease. They say, you see, it's going to cease. When the word of God is completed, it's going to cease. Uh, whether there be tongues, they shall see. You see there, they're saying, yeah, the tongues will cease whenever the word of God was, is completed, which happened in 96 AD. And then I read the next one, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. <laughs> then I say, if knowledge goes with it, then you and I don't have any intelligence or ability to even understand the word of God. You think the Lord did away with knowledge, spiritual knowledge. I'm talking about spiritual knowledge. You think God did away with spiritual knowledge whenever the word of God was completed in 96 AD? You know, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. And usually they'll take their Bible and do like that, you know. <laughs> they never looked at it that close. They were just told that, you know. So again, it doesn't make sense. This is speaking of the resurrection. Now, when the resurrection happens, tongues will cease. There won't be no more tongues because tongue talks will be going to heaven. Praise the Lord. Hopefully, oh, we're all going to heaven. All right, so there'll be no more tongues. There'll be no more prophecy, no more need for it, you know. No more spiritual knowledge because the Bible talks about the word of knowledge, the word of, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and so forth. And that'll be all taken away. These are all those spiritual gifts. They'll all be gone as well, praise the Lord. So there'll be no, no more need for that. And that's what that's referring to. It's speaking of the resurrection, not of the completion of the word of God. So as long as it's in this book and it was recorded and it happened, then it is for us today. Now, let me just add this for what it's worth. Nobody will ever tell me any difference. I have seen too many miracles. I've seen too many miracles, and so have you. I've seen them. I've experienced them. I was, I've been prayed. I have received miracles myself. I mean, too many things that have happened. Amen. I prayed for a woman in a wheelchair one time. God raised her up. I mean, she wasn't just sitting there because she was old or, or just didn't feel good. 
she was absolutely paralyzed on one side of her body, her left side, and God instantly healed that woman. I prayed for a blind boy one time up in Prophetsville, Indiana, many years ago. was blind, and, uh, and God instantly opened his eye. These are things God did, and you can never take that away from me, you know. And there are other things, you know. I people in this people in this church that's been healed. You know that. You know that. And I'm just saying here that too many miracles have happened for us to say, oh, well, it ceased when the last apostle died. So I'm just pointing all these out to you here that they've come too late to tell me because <laughs> I've already seen it happen. Oh, no, it worked. And I spoke in tongues, praise the Lord, when the Holy Ghost came. Hallelujah. I didn't do that on myself. It just happened. Amen. It just happened. I know it was my mouth and my tongues, but it, it was something coming from the inside. Hallelujah. I didn't go down the altar to try to speak with tongues. I went down there because I was repenting and praying to the Lord and worshiping God and everything. Somebody said, now quit crying and, and, and begging God and just, just start praising him and worshiping him. And I started doing that. And then the Holy Ghost came on me and I was talking in tongues. And I said, what in the world is this? This is the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You'll never forget it. And God changes us. So those are things, amen, that the Lord gives. And it's not something, praise God, that ended, you know, back there when the last apostle died, which was John and so forth. Uh, let me move on here. I want to go and move on to something else here. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about another faith. Uh, that's the, the one that says that there is no Holy Ghost or no miracles for us today. I want to talk to you also about a religion. I don't have it on this chart here, but it's a religion that's very strong today. And I'm going to give you a little information. I only got about maybe 10 minutes here with it this morning. But you, will, you may receive information in the mail, and I'm going to tell you why you do. It's from the Jehovah Witnesses. I'm not picking on them. Or I'm not picking on nobody. I'm just telling you factual things. But the, the, the Jehovah Witness will send out uh, letters or cards or brochures. Has anybody received any brochures yet from them? Well, you have. You have. I see, a, I see several hands. Okay, several hands. The reason that they do that is because the Jehovah Witnesses do not believe in the resurrection. They believe in the crucifixion. And anything you read at Easter time about them is always emphasis on the crucifixion. The supreme sacrifice paid. The blood that was shed. This is Everything is all about the crucifixion. There's never anything about the resurrection. They do it at Easter time to take emphasis, they feel like, off of the resurrection and put it on the crucifixion, okay? And they try to emphasize that, and this is uh, one of their approaches there. Uh, the Je Jehovah Witnesses, uh, and I'll, I'll get back to the, just for a moment here, what it says there, but the Jehovah Witnesses uh, do not believe that Jesus Christ was God Almighty, are part of the Trinity as the Trinitarian doctrine teaches that he is one of three. They don't believe that. Uh, they believe that Jesus Christ was actually Michael the Archangel. They believe he was Michael the Archangel. How many of you are aware of that? All right, there's several hands of you. They, they believe he's Michael the Archangel and that he was really just an angel. They are not Jesus' witnesses. They are Jehovah's witnesses. That's why they use that term. Uh, it was started by a man by the name of Russell uh, years ago, by the name of John Russell, uh, Charles Russell, 
uh, back, and it was established in 1872 by Charles Russell. And Charles Russell uh, at that time was teaching that Jesus was coming back. And he said he's going to come back in 1914. He began to teach. And in 1914, Jesus did not come back. And that thing about when Jesus comes back has been thrown around for hundreds of years. Back in 1852, I think it was, there was another one that said Jesus came back. They all went to a mountaintop and waited for him to come back. And he never came back and so forth. The Bible says, occupy till he comes. You just keep on keeping on. The Lord knows where you are. If you're ready to go, he'll take you back from wherever you are. Just keep on working, you know, paying your bills, raising your family, whatever, you know. Uh, but anyhow, uh, he said that the Lord was coming back in, in, in 1914. In 1914, it didn't happen. Two years later, uh, this, this Russell died, and he turned his organization, or his organization fell in the hands of a man by the name of uh, Judge Rutherford. He was a, a, a judge. And so he always went by that name, Judge. He was Rutherford. Judge Rutherford took over. Judge Rutherford said the Lord's going to come in 1925, not 1914. That was a little error there they had made. So they, and so it'd come in 1925. He, the Lord did not come in 1925. And so then Rutherford changed it. And he said, well, he did come, but he came only in spirit. For that's the only way that Jesus will ever come back is in spirit. And he come in 19. Came in 1925, and there is no bodily thing at all. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have asked them what happened to the body that was buried in the tomb. You know, what happened? Where did they go? They said, We don't know. I said, I do know. Look at me. <laughs> I got the answer. You know, it's 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 ironic it's, it's ironic to me that they can state that. When the Bible is filled with the, the story of the resurrection, it is the most single prominent story or factor involved in the life of Christ is that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The crucifixion and the resurrection together. Uh, let me have you go to 1 Corinthians just for a moment, 15. You're there, and if you're still there in chapter 13, just flip over your page. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're talking about the Jehovah Witness now. Here's what it says. I want you to look at the third verse. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Now, let me say this. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says that. Now, if the body dies... If there's a resurrection, it's got to be that that dies. The soul and the spirit never die. The Bible says that as well. Ecclesiastes, it says the spirit goes back to God who gave it. You know, the soul is the person we are. The spirit is our life. The life and the soul always stay together. And when the body and soul and spirit is all together, we have this human life that we have, the body that we have. When we die, the soul and the spirit are separated from the body, and the body is dead. It goes back to the earth from which it came. It came from the earth to the earth it shall return, okay? So it goes back. The body is the only thing that dies. If there is a resurrection at all, it's the body. It's the body. It's not the soul and the spirit because that never dies. The Bible even says that it goes back to a place that God, in the Old Testament, it's called Abraham's bosom. In the New Testament, it's called paradise. Another word that's used in the scriptures as well in the same context is the third heaven, third heaven. 
That's just the, the language that Paul uses in describing it. I won't go any further with that, only to say that that's where the body, and that's where we abide and we live and we stay with the Lord until the resurrection in which God then unites our bodies, the glorified body that we'll have. It's, it will not be the old body, but a new body, a glorified body that we will have, and that's called the resurrection. That's where the graves will open up, and the sea will give forth the dead. It's, it's in the scriptures. It's all in there. You know, I won't go into detail. There's so much of it. It, it, it would take till now to the next service tonight to, to read all of them, you know. But it's in the scriptures. Now, I'm going to finish reading this because the resurrection has to do with the body. And so the verse 4 says that he was buried. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 4. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained when they're still living unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, means they have died. And, uh, and often that he was seen of James, after that he was seen of James and of all the apostles, and at the last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due season, speaking of himself. And then he says in verse 9, for I am the least of all the apostles that am meet to be called an apostle and so forth. But then down in verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he even rebukes anyone who says there is no resurrection. Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith also is in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if that's the case, if it be that the dead rise not. Verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. You see all the domino effect that would happen if the Christ did not rise in the dead? And if this life only we have hope in Christ, we're all men most miserable. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Praise the Lord. And then it goes on to say in verse 23, but every man in his own, own order, Christ the first fruits afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. Praise the Lord. So what I'm reading out to you here is that there is a resurrection and that Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, is that wonderful savior and friend to all of us and that one day he'll come back and receive us unto himself. Praise God. So uh, I want to just say one other thing, another characteristic about the Jehovah Witnesses is that they do not believe that, they believe nations are evil, they believe nations are evil. Uh, the reason that this happened is because uh, they had a strong following in Germany prior to World War II. And uh, when the war broke out, they began to say, well, God is not involved in nations, nations belong to devils. That's an evil thing. All nations are evil. Therefore, they give no allegiance. They do not believe in serving in the military. They do not believe in hardly even saluting the flag because in order to give Germany acknowledgement that they're not, all, they are not Americans, they required that of Germany toward, you know, whenever we, we were in a great war in World War II. That's where all that came from. Uh, let me just point out something to you here. Here's a scripture they use, and I'm going to finish up with this. Uh, look in uh, look in Matthew four for just a moment. 
This is where Satan tempted Jesus, and this is the scripture they used with that. This is 4.8. Again, the devil taketh Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And they say, you see, when he says that, that means that he controls all the nations. And he has the power to give, and to keep, and hold, whatever, and he's promised to give all that. For Jesus answered him and said, Get thee behind me, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, this, but they use that to say that this is where the devil is. Let me just give you another verse of scripture that counteracts that, and then I'm going to give you just an explanation here. This is found over in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, when Nebuchadnezzar was going to fix and go crazy, and Daniel was saying to him, God's going to let you go crazy for seven years, so you'll learn a lesson. Here's what he says. This matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the Holy One for the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You see what I'm saying? Oh boy, we got a contradiction here now. We got the devil over there saying he, that he'll give it to Jesus and we got over here what God says that he gives kingdom to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. Verse 25 in that same fourth chapter says that they shall drive thee from men and, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. In other words, he'll go crazy, and he did. And they shall make thee to eat grass like an ox and thou shalt be wet with the dew of the heavens. And seven times, that seven years, shall pass over thee till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever will. In other words, he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you don't have this kingdom because of yourself. God gave it to you. And then the same thing is in the 32nd verse. This is the third verse now. And they shall drive thee from men, and they shall, thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass like an ox. And, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And, and then also over in chapter 5 in verse 21, and I won't read it, but it says pretty well the same thing. After it all had happened, it says, till he knew that the Most High uh, God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed it to whomsoever he will. Now, if that's be the case, then why does the scripture, is there a contradiction in the scripture? No. The devil lied. <laughs> the devil lied. That's the answer. And I had one of them ask me, well, does the scripture contradict itself because it says over here the devil said, I'll give it to him. I said, my friend, the devil lies. Amen. And so when Jesus said over here in Matthew, but when he said over here in Matthew chapter 4, he said, again, the devil take him into a seat of high mountain and showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The devil had no power to do it. And I'm just saying, folks, anytime he opens his mouth, he's lying. Remember that. Don't ever forget that. Anytime the devil speaks as a lie, he's a father of liars. Amen. He's a liar and the father of all liars. Amen. Aren't you glad for the truth of God's word? God's word is great and great to be praised. Let's stand together. Let's worship God. Let's glorify him and thank him here this morning. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together in the house of God. Bless every soul here, Lord. Bless each and every one of us, God. 
as we lift up the name of Jesus. In thy precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Remain standing as our musicians come and sing. Amen. God